Good evening, everybody. Don't click on disturbing shit on Facebook. It it just it's it's bad. It's a bad idea. Tip Hero is the devil. I need to stop looking at shit like that. Um. <clears throat> okay. Uh, I want to apologize first for the chat room situation. Um, I didn't realize my chat room was fucked until I went to set up the chat, and it was fucked. So, um, for, the <laughs> for those of you who can't get into the Facebook chat, um, I'm sorry. This was just the um, easiest method of um, setting up a chat short term. And I didn't want to rely on blog talk because it's so buggy and so many people had problems with blog talk forever and ever and ever. And I just didn't want to deal with it. And chat wing is gone and, and it's something else now. It's going to cost me 20 bucks a month and I'm not going to pay that. So I'm having to look for different alternatives when it comes to the chat room. And right now that chat room is the writer's table chat room on Facebook. Um, I will check periodically uh, um, to add people to the group so that they can join um, the the chat if they would like. There's a link in the writer's table group at the top. It's also in the announcements. It won't be hard to find. It's called Messenger Chat, the Writer's Table. You won't have a hard time locating it. Um, Anyways, um, at least the people who were in here didn't seem to have a hard time locating it. So hopefully it'll it'll work itself out. Um, Tonight we're going to talk about world building as part of our plot 101 unit that I'm building in – in the writers group on Facebook. So this is a podcast about plotting um, and about world building um, for your plot. So if you aren't a plotter, um, maybe you'll find this interesting and maybe you won't, and maybe it'll scare the shit out of you and you'll never want to plot in a million years. But either, (laughs) either way, this is what we're doing tonight. I got, Jilly on the air somewhere on this chat board. I have a lot of people calling in tonight. Um, so, yeah. Anyways, um, I won't be using names for um, people in the chat room tonight. So if you ask a question, I won't use your name. Because I know a lot of you are logging in with your real names. And so I will not use them on the podcast. So please feel free to ask a question and we will avoid using your real name while we do that. Okay. So no worries on that front. I won't out you and put your name out there to the world. Um, um, So I'm going to get Jilly on the air and we're going to start talking. Yes, it's me. Okay. Well, I don't want to use one name, and then I might end up using another name, another name by accident. So I won't be using anybody's name. It's just uh, as a across the board. That way, I don't make any mistakes. <laughs> so, um, how are you? Uh okay. I feel like I've been a fog <laughs> for like a month. You were sick for a month. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Um, yeah. If I, I might have to mute suddenly if I start still coughing because the cough's kind of lingering. But I took some medicine for it before the podcast started. So, you know, but if I suddenly disappear, it's because I'm trying not to cough in everybody's ear. 
Wow, I appreciate that. Um, although my audience is quite used to it because there was that whole year where I just coughed in everybody's ear. Did I ever tell you guys why I was doing that? I thought that it was just my asthma. As it turned out, one of my medications, the side effect was incessant coughing. Well, that's just no fun. So she changed my high blood pressure medication, and my cough, my persistent cough, went away. Wow. Now, there were probably That's times just... during that time where I had a cold or, or whatever, you know. Um, but the but I remember during cough... that time, like, when you would get a, when you'd get a cold, your cough would then get so much worse, you couldn't do a podcast. Right. Um, but I was taking a blood pressure medication, and that would be the name of it, Ellie, um, Linuspril. Um, it gave me uh, a persistent dry cough. So that's why I coughed that whole year <laughs> and why I don't cough now too much unless I'm sick because of that medication. I wouldn't be okay with a with a persistent cough. I, I, I'd I be like, re- I I'd be like, hell no. Because I had had problems with asthma before, where I had just a persistent cough, and I just chalked it up as that. And my doctor did too, until she did my annual asthma thing, where I breathe into the tube, and I didn't, I wasn't having the problems that she would have associated with the persistent cough. And so we started going through my medications, and she she found out that. That I was having a um, atypical response to Linuspril, 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 whatever, <laughs> ever how you say it. That's messed up. But now I have a different blood pressure medication, and I no longer have that problem. So. For those of you who are in the chat room and um, you want to have a big window, um, go to messenger.com and that will launch the Facebook Messenger. And you can do a separate tab and it will make a big window so you won't be in that tiny little box on Facebook. So go to messenger.com and then you'll see all your messages. I keep that up in a um, in a window because I can't stand that little tiny box messenger on Facebook. It drives me nuts. <clears throat> yeah, it's too teeny. Very teeny. And I keep I have messenger sent I think I think I have messenger set at hundred and twenty five percent just because um I find the default font for Messenger to be too teeny for me. Being that I'm old. Um, I'm at hundred and fifty. <laughs> so <laughs> I can't say much. <laughs> can't say much. So um, talk about world building. And when we're talking about world building, um, one of the things that I mentioned in um, a previous, I think that was when I rambled by myself for two hours. Um, was it on Sunday or Saturday? or I forget when that was. That I talked about world building and how when you're building a world, um, when you're in a contemporary setting, you don't have to, um, there's not as much 
uh, world building you would do is if you're in a fantasy or an urban fantasy or science fiction, um, and even in historical settings, you have to do a lot of world building to set up your environment, not only for yourself, but for your reader. Yeah. Well, with contemporary settings, it's about the reader's knowledge level. Right. But it depends with, with, even with contemporary, it depends upon how much um, fantasy or paranormal overlay you're putting on it. So, Whereas I think because we have so many deeply entrenched sentinel tropes, there isn't a ton of world building to do there, but there's still some. But like when mm-hmm. you start adding, you know, putting like werewolves over a contemporary setting or vampires or ghosts or when you, anytime you start fusing fantasy elements, you, you have to do all the world building as if you were in a fantasy world because you have to go back and consider how would world history have been different if this was going on. And, um, you know, it, it unless you're doing like a you know vampires come out of the closet kind of thing, like the Sookie Stackhouse books, where you don't really have to change history much because you know you're doing the big secret reveal, um, then you don't have to worry so much about it. Other than the vampires world building, you don't have to worry about you know what would have been different in history and and what would how would that have affected the socio political climate as as we move through time and would things have been different? So it can Working in a contemporary fandom doesn't – if you're doing a big AU, you, you may not be cutting yourself any breaks on the, on the world-building front. In fact, you might, that might be actually harder than just building a world from the ground up. <laughs> I, I think it's very important that um, if you are doing a contemporary setting and you're doing a place you've never been, um, be careful because you will have a reader who will – email you and tell you, well, you know, you can't actually walk from there to there in five minutes. If you'd ever been in New York, you would know that. I know the map says that, but really, you have to go around this construction and this construction, and it takes about 25 minutes. Yeah. Well, I will I will use real big cities <laughs> because you can get so you can get close to accurate with big city research, but if I'm doing a small town and I haven't been there, and actually even if I have been there, I am will most assuredly um, use a so fake, make a make up a town. Yeah, because, I would prefer to use a fake town than a real one. Uh, some people from small towns who read your fic and and you pick the you, you got the information on their small town wrong. I mean, they take it really personally. Um, <laughs> I mean, I have to admit, I was reading a story recently where I'm, I've lived more than half my life in Northern California. Um, and by Northern California, we just mean, you know, pretty much the middle of the state, San Francisco, well, Monterey and above, right? And Southern, so it's not really North California. We're talking Northern California is basically where San Francisco is. Um, and there's a blizzard happening in Berkeley in the story. I was like, oh, no, baby, that's not the way that works. In the 25 years I lived in California, it snowed at ground level one time, and it was overnight, <laughs> and there was like an inch of snow on the ground, and the whole city stopped. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> what? I mean, yeah, it snows in the mountains every year, of course, but it doesn't snow at, at ground level, at sea level, um, ever. It just doesn't happen. That's not, that's not California weather. Um, so a blizzard in Berkeley is just ridiculous. And honestly, weather research isn't particularly difficult, but I mean, it didn't throw me, it it threw me out of the story because I laughed. Um, 
Also, the same story, they had torrential rains happening in July. It doesn't rain in California in the summer. I'm sorry, that's not the way that works. But weather patterns are not actually difficult research. So um, I tend to find it that depends lazy, on a symptom of lazy part rain. of Georgia, Lily, because, oh, shit, I said I wasn't going to use the name. Fortunately, it is the name that she said I could use. Um, it's very Freudian or, or something. Anyways, um, upper... Georgia, Upper Mississippi, Upper Alabama um, are more likely to get snow than Lower Georgia, Lower Alabama, Lower Mississippi, Florida. So while we yeah. don't freak out when it snows too much, it's not common. It's not common, but it's not like so obscure that if I read a story set in upper Georgia or even Atlanta and it snowed, I wouldn't be thrown out of the story for it because that's not something that's, it's reasonable that it's it not, might snow. Yeah. I lived in Georgia for it's about winter 10 months. years and, and um, we always had a couple of snow days a year. Um, and usually we're not talking about a lot of snow, but because it's not something that's very typical in that part of Georgia, I mean, all you'd need is a couple inches on the ground, and they were going to call it a snow day because they didn't really have the infrastructure to plow all the roads. So Yeah, there's no salting, it, it, there's no plows. Right. It did snow every year, though. It just didn't snow much or very often. Um, but California, at sea level, no. Ever. Ever, ever. <laughs> um like I said, once in two and a half decades, we got snow. Um, it lasted for half. It lasted on the ground for half a day, and it, it was like everybody was paralyzed <laughs> because it just doesn't happen. So Berkeley, um, it snowed. What did we do? Being, did we stay inside? We stay inside. <laughs> Is it dangerous? Berkeley having having it weather so bad that it's multiple days trapped inside and there are snow drifts. No, but you know that's part of part of the <laughs> world building. <laughs> research is a part of your plotting process, and we probably would need to have a whole unit on research. Um, but we do have yeah. a whole section on research, <laughs> but not but, a whole unit um, by itself. Just part of the thing. Yeah, the Northeast. Look, yeah, even into the even in the late spring, they can get they can get winter. But re, like I said, weather patterns are not difficult research. They're not. Not the easiest research. It's not like indigenous freshwater fish of Florida, which is one string girdle, Google search, and you're going to not even have to click on the link to get the answer. Um, and I, I mentioned that because I did read a story recently where someone caught a halibut on a lake in Florida in a rowboat. Um, <laughs> that wouldn't be three people. Like, <laughs> yeah, they said three people. Um, well, and I was like, That's like the biggest thing. Google it. It's like that's like the easy. I mean, and seriously, that's one Google search term, and literally the answer of the indigenous freshwater fish is like in the the box at the top. You don't even have to click on a link. So the fact that somebody, it, it also shows they don't know what a halibut is, um, and also the lake in question was the Everglades, which I wouldn't really call a lake, quote unquote, but um, in a rowboat. This is I, I, honestly if. If you, if you go on the Everglades in a rowboat, you deserve for the gators to get you. But I get that not everybody <laughs> Whatever has you been. get, you got coming. I get that not everybody has been in a swamp. Has not, not everybody's been to Florida. They don't really understand that, that ecosystem. Um, but, you know, it's just such a huge it, – it, big research fails can really throw you. And, and, but, I mean, I, I, you got to draw a line on research, too, because otherwise you'll never get anything written. Yeah, there's, there's a halibut for you. Um, 
There's some three. Oh, some hungry getting, people. Even if you three could people. get one that far south and and in fresh water for some reason, you're not going to be able to haul it into a rowboat. <laughs> I'm just saying. Um, <laughs> By yourself. <laughs> with a fishing pole. It might hold um, you out of the boat. <laughs> yeah, you're going to get capsized and the gators are going to eat you the way it's going to go. Honestly, you'd be safer catching a gator, and they taste better, in my opinion. <laughs> so, um, I agree, actually. Yeah, but the point just, is think, about the halibut, about the snow, um, about the gators, about the rowboat. Is that these tiny details matter? Um, and when you fuck them up, it creates a um, situation where you'll have a hard time getting your your reader to believe you and that comes into suspension of disbelief and if you throw your reader out of your story repeatedly with these tiny little details it doesn't matter how good your plot is or how compelling your characters are your story is going to suck yeah and part of world building is research getting your details right um and if you're making up a few world, you can fudge a lot of that stuff by, you know, if you're making up a, a world that, let's say you're writing a, a Stargate story that takes place on a, on a, most of your story takes place on a foreign world, you can make up a lot of stuff. But if you defy the laws of physics too much and nobody even mentions it, then it just drains the credulity of the reader. Um, so, but I, under, I understand that, it's it's daunting to get into a world building where you have to do a ton of research or you have to do a lot of location research. And even sometimes you think you've done a ton of research and you're stopping when you're writing every five seconds and having to Google details or Google flight times or Google weather or whatever it is. But if you don't want to do that kind of stuff, this is just my opinion, write something else, write something in a town that you know. I mean, if I wanted something that was easy on the location research, I would set it in San Francisco or the Bay Area because that's the part of the world I know the best, or, or Dallas or Atlanta. I mean, those are the, the, the cities that I know the best in the world, are the Bay Area, um, Portland, Atlanta, and Dallas. That's, that's the places I spent the most time. So that is a way that you – but I've also spent a lot of time in upstate New York. So um, – you can simplify your life by picking a location you know. And this is, comes back to that write what you know part. If you don't want to write what you know, which, you know, we've talked about that that's pithy, bad advice. But in some ways, when it comes to, like, lightening your research load or your world-building load or whatever it is, putting it in a location you're familiar with can make things a lot simpler for you. Like, I don't need to research California weather because I know it like the back of my hand. I've spent two and a half decades there. So um, it, it, it's surprising when you're working, like if you're setting a story in the UK, like when I'm writing Harry Potter, the, the constant stopping for little searches, like what the weather's like or how far it is from place X to you know, place Y, is very time-consuming. Um, I do it. But it's just a factor to consider when you're working on your city. Um, okay, someone asked about um, when, like, it's not a real city. Like, when you're working in the DC universe, I would, um, 
tell people what your equivalency is in your author note. Like if you've decided that Metropolis is Kansas City, um, just say that. Because some people write Metropolis as being more New York. Um, And uh, like Gotham as being more like Chicago or Detroit or something. Um, I always think Gotham is based on Chicago. I always assumed it was Chicago too, but in the DC extended universe, they're across the river from each other. So um, I don't know how that, that would kind of imply that Gotham is in Jersey and Metropolis is in New York. I mean, I don't really know how to map that. Um, But anyway, um, (laughs) yeah. So, but if, if you want to kind of diverge from, what is even conventional wisdom or even if you're kind of going, cause like there's multiple, there's the, the movie universe. There's um, when it comes to DC, there's all those programs on the CW. And um, then there's comic, multiple comic book verse. It, let people know what location setting you're going with. And, and even, you know, say for people who don't know what the universe rules are, you can say Metropolis equals New York, um, um, Gotham equals X city in New Jersey so that people can kind of visualize what you're talking about. Um, and one of the things that's that what you I do would in do? world building that's helpful for that is once you make this decision, be consistent. That's why you world build before you plot because it helps. You've made all these decisions in advance and you don't have to ask yourself in the midst of plotting what to do because you already made those decisions. Yeah. I mean, we're not, no one, we're <laughs> not saying, we're not saying design a world and then find a story to fit in it. The idea is that you've got a story idea. You're going to go build your world and then do your detailed plotting. Because if you build your word world first and you make your, your plot consistent with your world, then you are not, um, when you, make world-building decisions on the fly, you run the risk of becoming inconsistent. So if everything is consistent up front, it may be that later you go, well, I wish I would have done this differently because I'd be able to do this plot element. But it could be that by making it that change, and I helped somebody in a situation like this once, um, where she made a change in her world-building on the fly to a plot element, and she invalidated a big chunk of her world-building that was already published. Um, so if you've, if you've created a world that has rules, you have to stick to those rules. Otherwise, you need to go back to the drawing board and make sure that your ripple effect backward and forward works. And what I mean by backward and forward is um, when you reverse engineer a plot issue, and by reverse engineer I mean you want, let's say, oops, I knocked my computer off. Um, when you reverse engineer a plot point, it means you take the plot point and you work backwards to the world building that would make that plot point happen. That's, reverse, that's reversing your, your path. But you have to work the path forward, too, to double-check it. Because just because that's the only way you would have gotten to that plot point, if you go back and you look at it and go, okay, now I'm going to step through this forward, then the outcome become, may become less probable. Because they would have done six things more logical than the thing that you're doing. That makes sense. I get it. 
when you're world building, it's just a question in the chat room. When you're world building and researching, how much do you ignore with an author's hand wave of destiny if the research doesn't match your world building? Can you give me an example of what kind of... Most of the time, your world building should match your research. (laughs) That's the point of the research. (laughs) To shape your world with available data. Yeah. The example that was just given was fictional nobility. I'm going to point you to the Hallmark Channel. Um, They are the king of fictional nobility um, because they don't want to deal with real, real, real world monarchy nobility issues um there actually i saw an article that went through all of the fictional worlds the hallmark like hallmark christmas specials have come up with um so i think with that kind of thing you might be better off creating your own country and your own rules for nobility like than, a diary right then getting um the british monarchy wrong because you're going to piss off a lot of people in England <laughs> with your poor <laughs> research. Um, let me see if I can find that link. Well, I think it was Huffington Post that put that together. In canon, there is no nobility in the magical world. It's a throwaway line with, with Sirius being sarcastic about the House of Black. Um, so it doesn't exist, um, canon-wise. Now, there is a nobility set in Great Britain, in the Muggle world, obviously. Um, and you can make your magical nobility be anything you want it to be. Because it isn't a canon element. I mean, even if it was, you could still do whatever you wanted. Um, what you do, what you must do, is establish the rules of your nobility set um, within the confines of the Harry Potter world and then stick to it. Be consistent. Consistency is your best friend when it comes to inserting an element into canon that wasn't there to begin with. But also have some common sense because um realistically speaking a single person isn't going to inherit 50 titles that's not how that works no in any reality <laughs> as amusing as it is to give harry potter 50 titles that's a little ridiculous now what happens is a lot of times um in traditional noble settings a, a, a nobleman will have Say he has an earldom, or if he has a duchy or a dukedom, he might also have a few baronies under him as um, that that he's inherited from um, other relatives, or that he has been given for service to the crown, or that an ancestor was given through service to the crown. And when that happens. The nobleman most often takes the well, takes the highest title available to him as his own, and the others are reserved for sons or sometimes brothers, depending on how they're. Like if there's two sons and the earl dies, 
the oldest son would get the earldom. But if there had been a barony already passed to the younger son, he would keep that barony um, as a courtesy title. Establish your rules and adhere to them. Consistency in world building is, it's your bread and butter. Because if you're not consistent in your world building, eventually everything else that you're doing, um, when we got moving into character profiles and your, your mini plot and then your pacing decisions and then your actual plot points, all those things will fall apart if you're not standing on a really good foundation. Yeah, somebody wants to fight and, crack. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'd be very cracky. Lord Shag, Lord Shag. I'm I'm not ever getting over that one. That one's, yeah, that one's in my head now. <sighs> um. So. The, the the socio we kind of been talking about political the type of government um, which is point six of the world building goals is to set your type of government um, and and that's really that's really important when you're working in a um, a fictional country another planet um, and one of the easiest ways to do that kind of research is to don't reinvent the wheel okay. Um, if you're going to make up a monarchy, model it after, to some degree, after an existing monarchy. You know, um, the rules of succession, monitor, mo- model it after. It, it could be a hybrid of multiple and pick the pieces you want, but you can't just make something. What happens, I think, sometimes when people make something up from the ground up is that there's not any, it does, it's almost nonsensical. It's like, how could that have evolved into that? It doesn't make any sense. Um, <laughs> Like how how is it that a wizard with ten tiles has to have ten wives? Where did that shit come from? <laughs> Where? I mean, yeah, it hit. <laughs> Someone said it. Someone said it in a story, and somebody decided to latch on to that as a great avenue for um, harem stories. Um, yeah. But what I'm and saying is, in reality, it, it doesn't make any sense. It, it has no foundation in um, historical purposes um, in any nobility setting that I can think of where a nobleman would have to have a, t- a wife for each title that he inherited. No. No. It doesn't make sense. I mean, the only time I did something even close to that was in the first Harry Potter story, and it wasn't a title thing, really. Um, it was that um, um, it was it was that whole thing related to the, the line of succession um, for the title that uh, Lucius had through his Vila heritage, which he could only pass that on to a child born of the Vila mate, um, and he was not married to his Vila mate, which is why that title was not going to go anywhere. Um, so. But that was a different succession issue. It was related to his um, 
it couldn't pass to a wizarding child born born of a born of a wizard. So it was, but so that was a different world building issue. It had nothing to do with needing a separate spouse for each title, so much as that the child had to be born of a specific lineage in order to inherit the title. And Narcissa didn't fit the bill. So. Um, Anyway, but in general, that just kind of thing. When I, a lot of the stuff I see being done with, I love the Lord Potter trope. Don't get me wrong, but sometimes I read it and I know about super quick because some of the stuff being done doesn't make any sense. Um, too obviously. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's a great trope, but sometimes you fall in love with a trope that there's like one or two examples you really enjoy it in. Um, and you're like, and, and the love comes from seeing it done really well, and you really, really want more, more of it. So like, um, like we did it. There was a there was a quiz in um, a, a poll, not a quiz, a poll in uh, MHQ about what what are your favorite what are your favorite tropes. And I love a good time travel story now, but it I, you I used to hate them. It as a favorite. I did. I wouldn't click it as a favorite trope, though, because it all depends upon the fandom and whose hands it's in. And there are some tropes I like so much that I will put up with a lot of crap to read that trope. Um, <laughs> time travel is not one of them. I will not put up a. I, I will not put up a bad time travel. No. So as much it's like I love the trope when it's done well, but if I have to put conditions on the trope, like I love it when it's done well. Anything you can say about anything, but if if I'm narrowing my focus you know, very narrow, if I'm putting that, that into a very narrow box, I couldn't really call it a favorite trope. Um, canon divergence is probably my favorite trope. Well, fix it or canon divergence are probably my favorites. Because um, they work in almost every fandom. Um, frankly, time travel does not work in every fandom. And I developed my hate on for it in fandoms it doesn't work in. Um, you got to work hard for it in some fandoms, you know. Really hard. If you try to put time travel in an NCIS, you have got to get over a huge, um, you know, um, the audience is going to be incredulous, basically, from the, from the beginning. So your suspension, you have, a, you have a much higher bar to travel with the suspension of disbelief. You have to get over this bigger bar, higher bar with the suspension of disbelief than you would in The Hobbit or a Star Trek or um, MCU. Any fandom where time travel even remotely possible in canon or actual in canon if you don't have that big suspension of disbelief issue. But when you have an NCIS time travel story, you already set yourself a challenge um, on the credibility of the story. So, um, yeah, I would only do a time travel NCIS if I was crossing it over with um, Stargate. So Stargate, a big secret universe, um, can make all the difference in that kind of thing because Stargate can exist under any contemporary fandom, right? Because they've kept it secret. Whereas I don't think things like supernatural can exist easily co you know, alongside um, NCIS or any kind of contemporary fandom. No, because it makes the cops look really, 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 really dumb. Yeah, they've never had a questionable crime scene that brought the supernatural into the into into light. So, um, yeah, well, you can't have a complete AU with a canon diverge. It's not a complete AU um, because it's, there's no canon to diverge from. 
But you can certainly have – you have to have canon up to a point, and then you can become AU. So that's, that could be your divergent point. But you can't diverge from canon before your point of divergence. Otherwise, it's like, you know, it, it's, it like breaks it, – like, it's like breaking – I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call it, you know, like the tenth law of the universe. You can't do it. Can't do canon divergence before you get to the point that you're diverging from canon. No. Let's see. Uh, we have a question. Canon divergence as a trope confuses me as to what exactly is. I thought pretty much all fanfic, fanfic is canon divergence. I think in some situations, canon divergence, that's true. But also, like I was talking about in a different group, there's different kinds of AUs. There's like the almost canon AU where you just change a little bit of something um, to make it AU. And then there's the canon is my bitch AU. <laughs> Where you turn canon completely on its ass. And then there's the AU of where there is no canon. No canon elements whatsoever. Like, for instance, if Harry and Hermione are not magical and they meet in college. I don't read non-magical AUs because if I'm reading Harry Potter, I want some fucking magic. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I agree. Um, But canon divergence... is special, I think. It's it's when you have canon up to a point, and then there is a. I would call it a significant uh, break from canon. Yes, thank you. Because a lot of people write really close to canon, um, and by that they mean like Gibbs and Dinozo get in a relationship, but nothing changes, right? Which I actually find abusive, by the way. But anyway, they're in a relationship. Um, but Tony's still on the team. Yes, technically that's canon divergent because they're not in a relationship in canon. But as long I wouldn't call it a canon divergent AU personally because no other canon element changes other than their relationship. So it's like writing a, a semi-canon compliant, and I say semi-canon compliant because no fan fiction writer writes canon. Um, it's a semi-canon compliant um, AU. Um, romance, romance AU, where you're basically just exploring a relationship or doing a case fic or whatever. Um, writing a case file for any kind of crime, you know, crime drama type thing, CSI, NCIS, law, I mean, um, Criminal Minds, none of that, if you're just writing a case that didn't occur in canon, I wouldn't call that canon divergent at all. You're just basically writing an episode. You know, you're like writing a, a, like a fan season or something, which isn't the same thing as really diverging from canon. Um, so I, and that's, uh, people are going to have a lot of different opinions about what canon divergent means, but, um, you could even have your divergent point be, it, it, to, to me, be in the past. Um, but you'd have to, in order to show that where that divergence is, you'd have to, it's difficult to show divergence. Um, for the point of a challenge, it's difficult to show divergence that your character's not aware of. So um, let's say you, it's canon that Tony was raised by his parents in New York and he, and he went to boarding school at some point between the ages of 8 and 12. Um, if you diverge, if you're canon, that's canon. If your canon divergent point is there, which is that he's taken to England to be raised by his family in England instead at the age of 12. Well, yes, that's canon divergent, 
in the past, but it's hard to show that divergence point really in, in for the point of a canon divergence challenge because Tony's not aware of the canon divergence. He's not aware of his. Yeah, I think it's more of an alternate universe. Well, I mean, it, it, it. I would call. I would definitely call it an AU, but I would still call it canon divergence because you are separating away from the character canon. But yeah, I think it's a matter of are you separating away from plot canon or character canon? And when it comes to backstory that we don't really see on screen, you're separating. You're diverging on character canon. Um, impetus would be canon divergent. Yes. Um, Journey Home, um, I don't think anything Sentinel really can be called canon divergent. Oh, yeah, no. Journey, yeah. yeah, Journey Home can't be called canon divergent because this whole Sentinel element. Um, it alters canon to such a degree that um, you can't say that canon is intact up to X point because it isn't. Yes, impetus. For it, no, even though it's a short. Okay. The impetus would be. Um, it is very. It's canon divergent at right after. Um, um, dead air. So yeah, that would be a, that would be a canon divergence point. Because the idea is that everything in canon basically remains intact. Now you can add elements as long as you don't contradict canon. So like you could have that you know, Tony and Steve already know each other because there's nothing in canon to really contradict that idea. Um, some crossovers are good for canon divergent AUs and some, the very nature of the crossover makes, I would say, canon divergence impossible for at least one of the shows. But maybe not both. <laughs> if that makes sense. So you could, like, I don't think you could do a canon divergent AU for NCIS with Supernat- with crossover Supernatural, but you could do a canon divergent AU in Supernatural where, like, Tony stumbles across um, the Winchesters and it alters their, their trajectory. But it's canon divergent for Supernatural. It wouldn't be canon divergent for NCIS. Okay, this is just my opinion. People may disagree. The funny thing about when it comes to tropes is people often don't agree on the definition of it. <laughs> yeah, well, the, yeah, I agree. The way you diverge from canon um, is a character has to do something different. Somebody just, I just got a, I just got a private question about um, would. Hmm. I don't want to use the name of the story. Um, like if a character acts completely different and doing, doing something that is bizarrely out of character, you kind of have a reason for it. But yes, um, there's, if everybody's acting exactly in canon, there would be no foundation for the divergence. So they have to do something different. So, for example, um, if Stiles tells his, comes up with a reason to tell his father about werewolves, in the first season, in the first episode, you could diverge from canon in the first episode of Teen Wolf if you come up with a reason for him to have told his father about that. But if you're writing a story where Styles is bitten instead of Scott, I find that to be a little bit harder to call canon divergent. I would agree. 
I'm going to do for November for Canon Divergence. I'm going to do um, a Harry Potter story, and I'm going to introduce the Revenant concept to it. And Canon is going to diverge. And I had originally thought that I would just um, kind of mentally set it in the same Revenant universe that um, my my Stargate story is in, but I'm not going to. I've been noodling it for about a week now. Um, and what it is, is there is a stone in um, in the bank. And when a wizard or witch turns 17, they may or may not be invited to the bank to stand on this stone. And it is an honor to be invited. And a lot of people get invited every year, but no one has ever been, no one has been accepted since Godric Gryffindor. And on Harry's 17th birthday, he gets invited. And he goes. So that whole Battle of the Seven Potters won't happen because he won't be at Privet Drive. He's going to go with the goblins. They come to get him. Um, and he stands on the stone and he disappears. And that is my point of canon divergence. Harry's 17th birthday. Seventh so, birthday, so that's the beginning of seventh year. Yeah, it's the beginning of basically okay. Deathly, um, Deathly Hallows. I love the idea of a Revenant AU in Harry Potter. I haven't even pondered November yet. I haven't even considered it. <laughs> I think it's because I'm kind of I'm I'm kind of being I've been a little schizo with fandoms lately, and if like if you told me I had to plot something right now, I'd probably plot a canon divergence for Teen Wolf. Um, but I don't know where I'm going to be. You know, I just I've 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 in the last well this month I've done very little writing. This month I've probably written a total of ten thousand words since I got sick, and five thousand of that was yesterday. So um, it hasn't mm. been. Um, a very productive writing month because I've been, I mean, I've been literally for like three solid weeks. I was rarely out of bed. I mean, it was like the bathroom and occasionally food, <laughs> food, not all that often. Oh God. Um, it was bad juju. This it got so sick, but so there wasn't any writing going down. Although I did do a lot of plotting, but um, prior to that in the, in the month or so prior to that writing, I wrote in easily six different fandoms. And so I've just been kind of all over the place. Um, Um, and what I and what what capturing my attention has been a little, you know, little little scatterbrain. So I have just not even tried to approach. I'm, and I I I'm still yeah I'm still moving on April. Um, I thought I knew what I was doing for April, and now I'm thinking about um, trying to finish, um, stick around and writing the sequel to stick around for April. So because I've been more in more of a um, MCU NCIS mood than a than a Stargate NCIS mood. So, I really enjoyed stick around. That was my favorite out of my, all the of, of the ones you did. 
Yeah, it was my favorite. I think I think stick around was my favorite story from last year. There's a lot of stuff I worked on that nobody else seen, but I think of everything I worked on, it was my favorite story last year. So it's really been I've really been wanting to get back to it, but it's not really been um, a focus. I haven't really had the time to really get back to it that much. So if I'm still in that frame of mind when April comes around, that would probably be my sequels because I really want to finish that story. I I really want to write the sequel to that. So. Not that I'm not, you know, enthused about the other sequel ideas I came up with. It's just, um, that one's, that would, if I could work on any one thing right now, I realize that would be the story, but it's just not the thing I need to be finishing. I need to finish my QB, so. <laughs> I finished my QB. <laughs> I know you I have this insane urge to brag about it every chance I get. I'm sorry. Um, but uh, I think that uh, I'm probably, I'm torn between doing a sequel for Iterum and what's that other one I was I am losing my mind, y'all. It just fell right out of my brain. The bridge? I had considered a full novel. Yeah, a a novel um, uh, sequel to The Bridge, which is my short story uh, that where, where John finds out about Sebastian while he's on Atlantis. Um, it's very appealing, um, just the idea of Sebastian being on um, Atlantis and Pegasus, and just, just the, the idea of it is... Um, very irresponsible parenting, but also very interesting. <laughs> yeah. Well, but you said a set of circumstances where um, Atlantis might be the lesser evil there, so um, right. it, it didn't yeah. make it implausible. There are times when I read, kid, you know, people taking a kid to Atlantis, and I go, "Oh, come on! <laughs> oh, come on! Worst parent of the year award." <laughs> But that I don't think that was that those circumstances quite quite fit that. He, that was very very urgent circumstances. So yeah, because Sebastian's not safe on Earth, and, re- and in reality, Sebastian's not safe on Earth in in what might have been. Um, None of them are really. That's why they have that whole fucking dome. Right. It's just not safe, um, and it's even less safe in Lantean Legacy for Sebastian to be on Earth. As they will discover. But uh, yeah, the, the bridge is appealing. Um, but so is Iterum. I read Iterum um, yesterday, as a matter of fact, when I was thinking about it. And um, But I'm also, uh, I considered a sequel to Human Nature. Ooh. I wouldn't be. I feel. I my when the first when you first talked about what you were gonna do sequels and you gave the list of potential stories. Iterum was my favorite, but uh, it was like I was like, oh, I would love it if she did a sequel to Iterum. Um, but I don't know. Any any of anything you mentioned sounds great. <laughs> now, one of the things that's nice about writing a sequel. It is a break from having to dive into world building, except for refreshing your memory on your own world building. Um, right. Which is nice, because I rarely write anything that doesn't have any elements of world building, since our topic is world building. I usually, I don't have, because even if something small, 
where I mean, like, for instance, if I'm writing something in Teen Wolf, I I find the werewolf culture very poorly fleshed out in canon. Um, so there's that element to, to me to fix is the magical you know magical culture hierarchy werewolf supernatural in general is like it's not it's a little bit it's very well aside from being contradictory it's also um i think that there's just elements that are just like i read a teen wolf story where everybody in the pack had a rank okay everybody um and it's just to me an element of poorly thought out world building um and, like, so they were visiting this pack that had, like, 50 members. And, like, every – and this is supposed to be, like, a happy, peaceful pack where everybody is ranked in some fashion. Like, the lowest-ranking member of the pack was known. Um, that is not – there's no way you have a harmonious pack where literally every person is jockeying for rank. It, it doesn't happen. That's not the way people work. Because nobody wants to have this shit end of the stick all the time. Uh, and be no. forced to do the awful thing. So it makes sense to me that there's a leadership hierarchy, but it doesn't make sense to me at all um, based upon just basically the way people act. And, and even some things mentioned in canon, like that, like Ethan and Aiden, the way they were treated is why they um, killed their pack. Um, it doesn't make sense that you would have that kind of thing um, um, it doesn't. It doesn't make sense that you would have. That's that's a case of where, like, I think something was thought from thought through from the plot point rather than thought through from the world building point. Because thinking something through from the plot point you want to make happen means you're engineering something that might not actually make sense in the world to make your plot work. But engineering from the world building means. You could get frustrated because you can't make your plot idea happen, but then you could go get some help and see what else you could do, or is there a better way to do it? Um, so, um, anyway, um, but yeah, so those are the kinds of things when you're when you're approaching a story that Team Worlds has some world building, hugely contradictory world building, but it needs more. So, like, if I were writing that, I would have to spend some time fleshing out the the things that needed that, that weren't there. So, if I was doing, if especially if I were writing where Styles is magical, which is a very common trope, um, a little bit canon, not terribly, but it's a little bit canon. But people really sometimes write him as being incredibly magical. I would need to flesh out the magical world building in order to write Styles being magical. Um, the whole thing about the nematon. I mean, there's lots, all this stuff that needs, if you're going to really get in and write a novel in that, that you need to stop and figure out. And Teen Wolf is one of those fandoms where I'm more, more willing to hand wave away canon than I am in some fandoms because it is so contradictory. Um, they, they, their, their writers didn't even bother trying to have coherent world building or even have a series Bible or even they didn't even have a fucking character Bible. I mean, some characters have multiple birth dates. Um, people's ages <laughs> change on the fly. It's just, it, it makes no sense. Um, so uh, some things I think are um, like, I read something or I started to read it. Um, 
some things I think it's a little bit – I think you can change Derek's age pretty easily. Actually, one – not so much – I don't think you can make him much older than Cannon ultimately decided he was, even though they contradicted themselves. Um, a bunch I don't, of I don't think you can make him much older than 20. I don't think you can make him much older than 25. But you can make him, I think, quite a bit younger than Cannon sort of settled on, which is that he's about, I think, 24 is what they said in the first season. Um, but – but in NCIS, I find juggling the ages to be odd. So to a degree, you can, you can wiggle them a little bit because sometimes they weren't very – they didn't give you an age for a long time. Like Tony's age wasn't known for a long time. And then they just made it Michael Weatherly's age, you know, not even paying attention to the fact that they basically erased five years of his life by doing that because he has, he has five, a five-year gap in his work history. Um, but anyway, I read a story where – the author kept all canon intact. It was like uh, it was it was late series, all canon intact, but made Tony ten years younger than he was in canon. Well, um, what? <laughs> that doesn't work that way. I, because to me, you just invalidated all kinds of stuff. He would have had to have gone to college five years earlier. Um, it, it just didn't make sense. So. Where I think you can hand wave away some stuff, there's other fandoms a little bit harder. Yeah, it was it wasn't wasn't explained. She just made him ten years younger. Um, it, it wasn't explained at all how how he could be, possibly be ten years younger than he was in canon. So anyway, um, <laughs> so some fandoms you just got to consider what you know you. With like I said, with team people get frustrated and they just go, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna hand wave this away, and I I totally get that, but. Um, the de- you have to just every fandom has a degree to which you can hand wave that stuff away and have it be plausible. And unfortunately, to some degree, knowing that li- that 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 limit, um, no, he was paired with somebody a lot older, which made it actually slightly creepy. Um, um, someone asked in the chat room if he was paired with someone younger. Um, which is the only reason I can think of to make him that much younger was to try to line up like an age. But um, I think it boils down to how the um, the actor's appearance. When you say I actually prefer the way he looks here, so he's going to be this age. Yeah, I often use in like in art and stuff. I use pictures of Michael Weatherly um, from. I didn't even know they were from his Dark Angel days because they looked to me like Tony in the first couple seasons. I found out later that they were pictures from his Dark Angel days. Um, but I still wouldn't I wouldn't I wouldn't age him down ten years to use a picture. That's just weird. Yeah, I'm just saying that it that it boils down to I think it's a kind of objectification. Yeah. Well, some people like to write a big age difference and so um which again is probably objectification. <laughs> a degree, yeah. I don't. I, I've read some stories that had that where the age difference um, didn't bother me, and it's it's unusual that a big age difference doesn't kind of tweak me. Uh, but I have read it occasionally, but uh, it loses credibility when the younger partner is called boy or the boy did this or the teen did this, the teen did that. I, I, I now have teen. no credibility. I hate teen. Yeah, the teen. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't believe like, even if you have like a, a you know, a 17 year old styles with a 21 year old Derek, which I'm actually fine with in general, 
But if Derek is always thinking of Styles as the boy or the teen, um, it, it makes it then seem he, like he's fetishizing his age. Okay, so that's just gross. it. It comes off badly. Uh, so there, I, I think you have to de-emphasize. You know, if you want to say, okay, Styles is really mature, and 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 Derek's got a little bit emotionally immature, they kind of gel with a four or five year age difference. Fine, um, but when you have language like that, it seems like the age is fetishized, and it really tweaks me. And I will, so if this is a great story, then I'll read it and go, eh, I don't know. Even a, like, even if that's even that's just with a four year age difference. When you start putting in a sixteen or a seventeen or a twenty year age difference, that becomes even worse. It really does feel like the person is being fetishized for their age. So, um, where was I going with that? Um, but yeah, so we were talking about one of the things that's difficult about being able to know what to hand wave away is that you have to know the canon to some degree or research it. And that's kind of more of a research topic, but it's also a world building thing is that when you're deciding what you in fan fiction, obviously we're talking about this, this is in relation to fan fiction is researching the canon. If you don't know it is a factor in world building. It's a factor in plotting. Um, to some degree, I mean, I hit, I hit a point with Teen Wolf canon when I had to watch some stuff. I didn't want to, but I felt like I had to because I wasn't getting what I needed out of reading episode rehabs and summaries and stuff. Um, not, I didn't really have to, I mean, fortunately I could watch it for free. So at least I didn't have to go rent it or buy it or something. Uh, but I, and I was able to fast forward through the stuff that was completely irrelevant to what I wanted to know. But there were a couple episodes. Um, ew. Oh, uh, um, there were a couple episodes that I had to watch almost from beginning to end. And then there's other episodes that I didn't watch at all. So it doesn't, unfortunately, when you skip like big chunks of it, it doesn't, it can give you a distorted perspective of some people's character. Um, but anyway, I did hit the point in my research of Team of Canon where just reading it wasn't sufficient reading summary. So I did do, I did watch, um, but it's come up before. It's like, how much do you have to know about the canon of a show to, to write in it? And, it, dep- and I, it comes back to it depends upon how much you're using canon. So writing a canon divergent AU, not knowing the canon, would make that very difficult. At least you've got to research the canon up to the point that you're diverging. Because if you don't know it, how do you know what you're, taking, what, you're, what you're breaking away from? Same thing with fix-its. If you don't know what you're fixing... Um, unless you're just taking the character wholesale into another fandom, like like Tony dies, like Tony dies in Dead Air. Let's say you're, you're fix it slash canon divergence. You don't know NCIS canon at all, except at Dead Air. And your fix it is that Tony dies, or except he doesn't die, he ascends. And his, that's the divergent point. And the ancients get tired of him and drop him on the SGC. Um, that could be a fix it and canon divergence. So... Except this is interesting because Tony wouldn't be a murder victim. He would be missing because when you ascend, your body disappears. That will be fascinating. Are you going to write it? (laughs) I I I have, but the thing is, you just pointed out a plot hole because I have plotted that, but I plotted that he was killed and I forgot about the body thing. So there'd be no body. Um. 
there'd be oh, blood though. Him would never be safe again. <laughs> what do no. you mean you lost the nose? <laughs> well, the thing is, there'd be blood, right? So he would be had he be injured to the point of dying before he ascended, and so there would be evidence right. that he was mortally wounded, but there'd be no body. But no body. Um. Anyway, so I, I now I feel like I need to go fix that. I'm, I'm making a note so I can go fix my plot problem. Um, <laughs> Sorry. Although I would have pointed it out in beta anyway, so <laughs> maybe not. That's Sorry. True. <laughs> um. But yeah, so in that I had the the SG the the, the Ascend Ancients got really fed up with him, and he kind of blackmailed them into not, um, taking his memories. And so they just drop him on the SGC memories intact. Um, and it creates some fix-it points for Stargate because he has knowledge that they wouldn't normally have allowed him to keep. Um, anyway, so, um, yeah. But so that, you don't need to write really, and so somebody asked, how much of the canon do you need to write to write a, a divergent point? I would say not a lot because I'm not a big fan of writing canon. I think regurgitating canon, which means I think regurgitating canon is it drives me crazy, boring. frankly. Boring, yeah, it's boring, super boring. boring. Look, um, bitches, if I wanted to read the Philosopher's Stone, I would go read the Philosopher's Stone. <laughs> Joanne already told me that story. I guess you can come out of the corner. I guess. Isn't that where the booze is? I thought people wanted to stay in the corner these days. <laughs> I guess. I don't even remember why she's in the corner. <laughs> I think she put herself oh, yeah. in the corner uh, because, yeah, yeah. She was. Yeah, okay, she put herself in the mind. corner okay. ahead of her bad fix okay. search. Um, it was like going, when you're in, if you're going out deliberately to, to get bad fix, yeah, you need to start in the corner. Uh yeah. No, you can't come out. <laughs> I just decided. You got we changed our mind. Twenty four hours in the you got twenty four hours in the corner. Um <laughs> But like so and even even with something like what I just mentioned about ascension, we know something about ascension but not a ton. So you have the potential to want to or could do world building around the ancients and stuff. I mean, like I said, there's some canon we know, but there's also, I think there's more we don't know than we do know in canon. So there's opportunity, and even to some degree to maybe change some of the stuff we know to create a more consistent narrative. Um, Because that's part of one of the things we fix, even in world building, and sometimes, you know, in fix it, sometimes the fix is creating something that's more internally consistent. It's not the fix, but part of it is creating a more... Um, consistent narrative than what we get in canon. I mean, uh, you could almost do a fix-it fix on um, a Teen Wolf where you just resolve all the shenanigans by people's ages and the timeline. <laughs> I mean, it's crazy. Um, you can come up with a timeline and publish it and call it a fix-it fix. Because it, fix, you know, I mean, it, it definitely needs meta. It. Would that be meta? <laughs> I guess, yeah. Um, so we've got like 50 minutes. So should we go down the checklist about, I mean, when it comes to world building, there's stuff that you can get wrapped around the axle on that I wouldn't recommend you getting wrapped around the axle on. And the first thing, when I saw Karen, 
<laughs> Carol's world building list. I went, wow, the first thing on the list is one of the things that I can get really wrapped up on. <laughs> I spent like really? two days. Oh, yeah. I spent like two days once trying to name a planet. Um, You're so crazy. <laughs> I, I have to tell you. But I, I was like, I'm, there was a story where I had to name a bunch of original characters. I just got so burned out on trying to name people that I, it was ter- house elf names, too. Yeah, I started naming all my house elves from my condiment shelf. Um. <laughs> Like I came up with a ver, you know. So I like I look like, yeah, between. They and I didn't actually call them. them. Yeah, well, I didn't actually call them mayo, ketchup, and mustard, but I came up with house elf names that were derived from mayonnaise, ketchup, and mustard because <laughs> I was just fucking fed up with it. Um, this is the you know actually um, it is a good point because this isn't something that I get wrapped up in. Um, because I will deploy a name generator like nobody's business and hit that button until I see something I like, <laughs> and then I will write it down. <laughs> I tried that. I, will <laughs> I tried that with the planet that I was naming. I mean, I spent I could have spent a good two hours with name generators, and I was like, "Fuck this!" And it just I lost my mind. So, it, but anyway, I mentioned the name. You know the name what thing. actually it, would be a really good planet generator. Um, there is a fantasy generator um, that I use, and I think you should probably use dragon names to name planets. Oh, that could work because the actual planet names, just the planet name generator, really irritated me. Um, it was always so, coming up with something, times, like, something one. I or... used, yeah, I used. Um, I think I used elf names once to figure out like what I was going to call a ship or something. But yeah, I mean, just because it says it's for dragons doesn't mean you got to use it for dragons. You can use it to make planets or cities on your fictional planet, you know. You can use elf Yeah, names. I use the, I use the, I think I use the Hobbit name generator or elf, maybe dwarf name generator. I think it was Hobbit to name my um, goblins. Um, I think yeah. Kaxel was was from the dwarf name generator, but I actually came up with. And, oh, I remember how I got it. Um, there was a one of those stupid things on Facebook um, that said, "Put your name in, and it will give you your elf name, dwarf name, hobbit name, whatever." Mm-hmm. And I took all of my like ten, ten, fifteen of my closest Facebook friends and put all their names into it, and then I got all of my dwarf names. From that list. <laughs> That's great, though. And that way you yeah. don't get wrapped up in it. You know, you make a decision and move on. I am yeah. more likely to get wrapped up in um, politics or emotional climate. You can, yeah, you can, you can spend a ton of time in, in the socio-political economic stuff, a ton of time. Um, I spent days, at least, when I worked subversive, um, figuring out how the knowledge and, and the integration of werewolves in society would have changed world events. Um, to the point that I was really losing my mind. <laughs> I was going crazy. Um, 
Do I do I think of a every version of you has a great rack as? Yes, she does. Um, Yeah, I it can that that can get really easy to get wrapped up in figuring out the ripple effect of stuff. Um, In general, even in easy world building, I spend a lot of time. You you put. You put year, colon, like it's easy to just plug in the year. But year, what's implicit with that, that bit of world building is figuring out your timeline. Um, the year in which you're writing is sort of the end point, right? It's not the beginning. It's when were people born? Um, what's happened in the world? When does your story start? You know, you've got a timeline. I know a lot of people don't do a lot of work with timeline, but it's often really transparent when people have a crappy timeline. Um, I usually create a timeline in my world building, yes, because I need to know. I need to know, like, um, you know, when who you know when Dumbledore was born, and or when my main character is born, and when they graduated high school, and when they graduated college. You know, that those are the kind of things you need to know because it gives you um, depth. Mm-hmm. It gives me depth, and, and if you have other that orders, already, obviously, yeah. If you have that already ready, and that to me, building a timeline isn't really, especially the back of the, your backstory, your character timelines and stuff. To me, that's not really plotting. That is part of character profiles and world building. Because if you people who don't plot, if they look at that as a plotting task, they'll often skip the timeline, and. I'm not talking about the timeline of your necessarily of your just your story because your story might take place over one day or two days or a week or a year, but if you don't even that that's more in your writing cycle. If you don't keep track of what's happening when, you'll you'll fuck yourself up. But anyway, when you're building your timeline, my timeline for Sl- Slytherin Black, every even if it didn't appear on screen or haven't appeared on screen yet, I knew when they were born, what school they went to what um what year they went to school, when they graduated, um, what year Sirius went to prison, when he went back in time, when he came back out. I mean, everything that could have a date attached to it that was historical, to, that was before the start of my story, I figured out. Because if you've got that all locked in, it's just referring to it, and you don't run the risk of contradicting yourself. It also gave me the chance to validate numbers because I – couldn't seem to add 11 to people's ages. <laughs> I fucked that up repeatedly. <laughs> um, but also, I would like to tell you, don't get overwhelmed by the thought of this because these are simple questions to answer. There's just questions that you need to answer. And once you have these concrete answers, you're done. You don't have to worry about yeah. it anymore. You've already figured that part out, and you move on to your next thing. But doing it in advance just is just very helpful. And just as a, as a simple example of figure why, let's say you're, you're doing your world building and you're working out your timeline, your character background timeline and stuff, and you decide that Derek was born in June of 1990. Okay, let's say you make that decision. If you make it then, if you're writing your story and it takes place in late May through June, you know Derek's birthday is coming up. Okay. If you don't figure that out in advance and you've already written June in your story and you're now in July in your story and somebody says, Derek, when's your birthday? And he's like, it's June 2nd. Well, 
you basically just skipped over that in your story. And it's potentially then you have to go back and fix something. And that's just a very minor thing. People don't deal with birthdays all the time, and he could be he didn't want to even know about the birthday. But you've now made it an issue you have to deal with because you didn't make that decision up front. Some of this stuff on the list, it's really the type of world building you're doing can be, this could be an almost nothing to deal with type task to you're going to spend days on it. Um, right. Like if you're, really if you're writing a pure sci-fi, yeah, if you're writing pure sci-fi fantasy um, or, or a paranormal AU kind of thing, you could spend a lot of time on six, seven, and eight um, in the list, which is type of government, it, political climate, that kind of thing. Societal rules, that kind of uh, societal rules, which is where I put in the like socio-political mood and that kind of thing. The technology and paranormal phenomenon. Um, you can spend a lot of time there if you are really constructing a world. Um, and the same thing with character dwellings and vehicles, that kind of thing. Character dwellings, where they live and the kind of cars they drive, are part of your typically a part of your character profiles anyway. But you might be if you're doing a Hobbit type thing, well, you're doing with horses, right? Um, and hobbit holes. So it, it's just what you're working in really makes a difference um, as to how much time this stuff takes. So it's important when you like sit down to work on your world building is to know both what's going to take time in general based upon the type of world building you're doing, but also where you are likely to get stuck. Um, and try to mitigate the things that you um, can get wrapped up in. Like, I just try to make quick decisions about names now because I have gotten really wrapped up in trying to get the perfect name for a world or a town or a character to a ridiculous degree. And nobody needs to spend three or four days of their writing cycle on names. So because I know that about myself, I've worked on ways to um, mitigate my own OCD around that issue. Well, I would like to say also is that these 10 points are your basic needs. They're my basic needs. And so when I was designing this, this unit for the group, I was thinking about what would be beneficial to me and what do I look for in my, and what do I build into my world building? And that's how I created this list. The truth is, is you may not need all of these elements, or you may need twice as many elements. It really just literally depends on what you're doing. I don't think that I could build a world like Lord of the Rings on these ten on on these ten goals. I need more goals. <laughs> yeah, you, you'd, you'd you'd be I breaking out a lot of that stuff because you'd have to There's work out geography and climate and right. um, every region. You'd have to Languages figure out, you know. Yeah, it, it'd be a hot uh, mess. Cultures and mythologies. But, the, you know, like, say, Teen Wolf, I think Teen Wolf, at its heart, is pretty basic. And so these ten things would probably be enough for something like Teen Wolf, right? Um, yeah, I did skip religion. You're right. Um, I'm an atheist. And so I tend to, um, if, I have, I have two, what happens with me? when it comes to religion is if I put too much religion in my work, I will bash the shit out of religion. Like it's a Weasley. 
<laughs> so I tend to avoid it. And it's because uh, I don't want to um, to overtly abuse people and their beliefs. So I tend to remove um, religion from my thought process. But obviously, if it that's an element that you may or may not need in your world building, so you definitely need to include it. I'd probably include it in um, – I'd slot it in between six and seven, honestly, because religion can impact government and society. Yeah, I'm like you. I tend to unless I'm having, unless I'm doing something with with, with unless I'm doing something where there's a really critical world building element that's that because of bigotry based on religion. I don't. I try to just keep religion out of it because, like you said, I'll just, um, I will rat hole in how I feel about religion, and that's just not gonna that's not gonna be productive <laughs> for anybody. <laughs> nobody nobody wants you can that. Dog- me. <laughs> you can dog walk religion but no I mean yeah so I don't I mean so sometimes I have characters and McKay is often my opinions come out of McKay's mouth when it comes to religion and and vegetarianism because um, that's kind of appropriate for his character uh, because he is that blunt scientific mind and these are the kinds of things that he probably would say in reality uh, like when he said that he was really relieved to find out Santa Claus didn't exist because the physics didn't make any sense and it made him uncomfortable <laughs> Santa Claus in fact made me very uncomfortable for several reasons one of which was it seemed impossible even if he only visited homes that celebrated Christmas that he could do the whole planet. And second, it was also in the midst of that giant campaign about stranger danger. (laughs) And yet they were telling me that some dude was going to come down the chimney, and I did live in a house with a chimney, going to come into my house and leave me stuff. I was really relieved to find out that he did not exist. Really, really. I'm just bash it like a Weasley. I'll do. So I just, I try not to put religion in. But if you're going to do religion in your basic world building, I would put it with six and seven because religion has often, through our own history of a planet, um, shaped both government and societal expectations and the behavior of society as a whole. Like, or societies, you know, clustered societies, like, for instance, Salem and, and the witch trials and um, uh, and the whole thing with Henry VIII and his wives. And, you know, it's very uh, – and then the priest holes in, in Britain where they were hiding Catholic priests. These, you know, these are all things that um, would, would have play in your world depending on what your character's. need I'm not actually yeah. comparing Santa to God but what I'm saying is is that I was really relieved that Santa wasn't real 
And I'm also pretty comfortable with the idea that your invisible Skype area is not watching me fuck. These are the kinds of opinions that I keep to myself. Like I said, bash it like a Weasley. Like a red-headed stepchild. <laughs> the only story I could think of where religion was a, well, there's more, actually there's a, whole, there's a story where I completely had religion be almost a non-entity in the world, but it, that, I didn't actually call that out. It's just in my world building that it kind of got, um, it never had the teeth. Um, the Abrahamic religions never had the teeth in the story that they had in, uh, have in real life. But the only story where it kind of was overtly an issue, but it wasn't really dealing with the religion, was the, the one story, and it hasn't been published, but the one story I did um, is set in Lucifer. And that, dealt, that deals more with mythology around angels and demons and stuff than it deals with religion. So um, I know that story offended the fuck out of a lot of people. I actually don't even know why, but whatever. Um, trying to figure out what bothers people is a losing proposition. Um, but in general, it's just Lucifer's not something still that... hot, though. I mean, yeah, Tom really... Ellis? Yeah. Who is a mother... Wow. Wow. Hello, Tom um, Ellis. <laughs> but, it, you know, and the thing is, people got bent about the fact that it, just, it was Lucifer. They didn't, ever, they didn't read the story. And the reason I know they were bent about it and offended over it was because they made a point of writing to tell me that they were bent and offended. <laughs> um... Because they, I'm like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna read it. This is really offensive. And I was like, all right, I like, I give a flying fuck. Fuck you, bye. Um, for the record, I don't know why anybody would tell me or tell you why they're that they're not going to read your work. It is like the very first comment I ever got on ties that bind was literally the words, "Well, I'm not reading this shit." It is forever in my brain. I don't care. Even a decade later, I don't care. I still don't know why they had to tell me. Yeah. Did they I think mean, I was not like, writing it because they weren't going to read it? Well, I think that um, I did have one reader um, who wrote me about um, it was on, well, I deleted on when it was on Rough Trade because the only place it was ever actual. There's a funny little thing that happened with that story. The only place the Beautiful Decline was ever officially published was on um, Rough Trade. Um, and there were, we deleted several comments, people commenting just to comment to say that they were going to give this one a pass. And we just didn't approve those comments. But when we were testing and building the Wild Hair Project, I did put Beautiful Decline up when there was nobody else was a member. The site wasn't opened. I put it up. And the, that story got caught, got captured by the Wayback Machine, and somebody posted the <laughs> link to that way to the link to that story on the Wayback Machine, my rough draft, um, onto one of the live journal groups, and I started getting comments from people saying they weren't going to read the story, and I was like, it's not even online. What are you talking about? <laughs> Which is how I found out that it was somebody got gotten the link from the Wayback Machine and passed it around, and I'm like, is that still active? Who wrote me? I don't know. I haven't looked in, I haven't looked since it's happened. And um so people were writing me and saying, uh, you know, somebody has got this link to your story and I usually read all your, I usually read all your works, but I'm not going to um read this one because I find the subject matter very offensive. And I wrote her back and I'm like, I don't why do you think I actually asked, why do you think I care if you read it or not? And I said and then I also asked the question of 
why, how did you find it? Because it's not online. Um, and she said that she thought that I might notice that she doesn't comment on the story or something. And I was like, um, <laughs> that is so self-centered. That's some I arrogant shit. A, I don't, but the thing is, I think several readers do think that I will notice if, if they don't, and, and maybe, because there's a couple people, honestly, there's a couple people I'm close to that if I put up a new story and they never commented to me privately even about it, I would probably notice, notice, but otherwise, and that's just because we're good friends, but other than that, I'm not keeping a spreadsheet of who reads my stories, who hits like or kudos or who leaves a comment. I, I don't, I don't keep track of that. <laughs> I really don't. So I'm not going to notice if somebody chooses to give a story a skip. And she seemed to think that I would notice and be offended. Um, a, I wouldn't have noticed. And B, uh, it's just more offensive, honestly, to reach out to somebody and let them know. There's no good, there's no, I don't find there's any good intention behind letting somebody know you're not going to read their story. But I do think more often than not, it's what Kira said, that people are trying to let you know the negative consequences of your decisions. And <laughs> fuck you. Honestly, if that's suck you, a fuck, fuck you. And suck I'm a not good. Well, <laughs> I know that there's a couple people who don't like that I have written a couple things in Teen Wolf and will continue to probably write some stuff in Teen Wolf. I know a couple readers that don't like it and they've told me they don't like it. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. This is like people giving Kira, you know, cr- crap for when are you going to get back to Stargate? Whenever she feels like it. Whenever she feels like it. Pretty much whenever a Harry Potter fan severely makes me mad. You're going to get some Stargate fix. <laughs> or maybe some NCIS. Maybe some Mothership. You might get some Mothership if they make her mad enough. I'm like, yeah, there, there, there could be some Mothership. And I was actually um, very tempted to write a sequel to my um, my my latest Mothership, where they're the one that I'm based off um, Lady Hawk. Because they didn't get laid. <laughs> and I'm all about getting laid. Um, the subtle body. The subtle body. So. I wouldn't be mad. I'm just saying. But I am very no enamored mad. with the idea of, of Sebastian's excitement and innocence and um, on Atlantis and John learning to be a father um, and just not really having any fucking clue what he's doing, you know, Um, because this John is single. Um, He's not actually with McKay yet. Um, He is, um, I think McKay during that time period would have been dating Katie Brown in in canon. Um, He's, not really used to being responsible for anybody but himself outside of his job. So having Sebastian in his life, in his quarters, with this giant poster of Johnny Cash, it's amusing. It, it Yeah, it's amusing, the, the idea of it. It's amusing. Um, you know, I, it wouldn't matter. Every, there's nothing Kira's written or fandom she's gone in that I wouldn't give it a chance, you know? Um, 
Because some writers, some writers, I will give anything they've written a chance, but not everything is going to appeal to everyone, and that's just the way it goes. And it's not nobody. There's just no point in getting worked up about it. Not everything I write is going to appeal to every person who reads my work, and they're just going to have to accept that. Especially I've since never I read her people's ho- OTPs on a regular basis. Right? I've never read your Hobbit fic for that exact reason. And I get it. I mean, I knew I, I knew it was going to be a tough sell for for Thorin um, Bilbo shippers. Um, um, I just can't. Thorin can't be Bilbo's yeah. daddy. At least not that kind of daddy. <laughs> he could be a daddy though. I'm just saying. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah Richard he, Armitage he, is definitely he, a daddy. <laughs> he might be in that. He he might be Richard Armitage might be another one in that short list of actors that I kind of go, yeah, that's a daddy. <laughs> Um, especially with the hair and the beard. Um, yeah, I could but, be talking uh, the it same. Is not, it's, <laughs> it's not my usual thing, but you know, every once in a while, it's just like, okay, yeah, yeah. I have a very short like, list, and I do think Richard Armitage is probably on it, um, along with George Eads and um, Bruce Willis. And I, yeah, <laughs> like okay, I it's like whoa, daddy. <laughs> I, I can't. I just can't explain it. <laughs> and I'm not gonna. It doesn't need explaining. Um, yeah, I I think that um, yeah, I th- you're never going to please everybody, and if people are writing you to let you know that you haven't pleased them with your choice in some fashion, I guess that there are there are the exceptions where people are writing to let you know thinking you're going to be concerned or something. And their their intentions may be good, but it's still kind of like an eye roll moment. But in general, when people are writing to tell you they're not going to read something, they're trying to show you that there's negative consequences to your to your choice. Um, and we've talked before about how... They're trying to slap how, you. Yeah, slap readership you. isn't currency, so it's not like you're taking my pay away. My pay has not been reduced this week because you're not reading my fan fiction. I'm just saying. I think if you know the comments, comments are going to drive you crazy, throw you off your groove, whatever. I think making the decision up front to not allow comments on a post is a very sane thing to do. Um, I think it's, it's such a foreign idea in fandom that I think some people don't know, know what to do with it. Um, I've heard of cases where people have actually like gone out of their way to um, find a way to contact an author to tell them something when an author didn't allow comments, which is ridiculous. I mean, if if they're going to those extremes of turning off comments to keep you from commenting not respecting it is like the most asshole thing I can think of. I'm considering um, turning off comments for my fic um, in November. Um, I got a lot of grief when I did the Revenant version um, for Stargate. And it was weird. It was, you know, and I don't want to harp on it again because I harped on it a lot last year when it happened. But it just, it, there was something about the tone of the feedback I got 
not the stuff that people were like, oh, I love this, this was great. You know, they were fine. It was the people who were questioning where I got it from, and they were acting like I that I wasn't crediting a source, and they didn't believe that it was my original idea, and it was just very insulting. Is that the right word? Yeah. I'm not sure if that's the right word. I mean, I was more than insulted. I was kind of appalled. I was. I have never, in fandom, failed to cite a crossover. I just don't do it. If if there was another source of material for that story, it would have been listed. <laughs> well, it, it is very offensive um, to do that. It's insulting, right? It. it So, now I get that sometimes people are jazzed, and maybe they're hoping that there's other material. But I think that's a case if you need to think before you comment, because asking an author what their source material is when it it, it shows you don't know anything about Kira as an author, that she always discloses that kind of thing. Um, so maybe it's just really I being just, lazy it was, commenting. It was. I just <laughs> even I, I, so I think that I'm I'm on the fence about whether or not I will allow comments on my fic for November. Um, I'm I'm leaning toward no, but the other side of it is is that my email is very public and I have a website that has many open pages for comments. And so even if I close comments on Rough Trade, I would still get emails and I would still get comments on my site. So um, I'm not sure if it's worth it or not. I might get more yeah. email. I mean, I get, even though people aren't supposed to be seeking out rough trade authors during the rough trade period to, I mean, I do get every, I'm not almost, almost not a rough trade that goes by that I don't get contact through my website about what I'm writing on rough trade. Um, so people will, if they feel like they can't get a point across to you in the in, directly, they will find a way They'll find a way to get there. They'll find a way to get to you. Oh, um, my inspiration for Revenant um, was is a song called "The High Woman" um, by Johnny Cash. It's got also um, Willie Nelson and Chris Christopherson and Waylon Jennings. And um, I was I was listening to it one night, chatting with Julie, and the idea just kind of bloomed, full force in my head. It was just like boom, yeah. And I was telling you her about it. The link to like, the... holy shit. <laughs> yeah, you sent me the link to the video, and we because it was specifically the line about I've been a, I've been a something like been a sailor and I've been a this and the kind of thing is just living over and over again. Yeah. And we got to talking about it from right that point, and um, her world building just started kind of a, a a big foundational piece of it came out in that conversation, and um, it kind of flowed out like like a river. It or did. Something. Well, if people can't comment on your story, I think they would go to your website and send you comments. Um,
Here are the lyrics. Even with a giant author, but, um, even with an even, even with a giant author note across the top, this is my original world building. There is no source material. Um, please stop comparing it to the trill. Um, <laughs> I didn't actually mind the trill um, uh, comparison. I, I didn't see it personally because the trill is a melding of personalities to the point that's almost subversion. Um, I. I actually find the trail thing kind of just uncomfortable. Uh, but that wasn't offensive. It was that whole idea that there was some big work lurking out there somewhere that they had not seen, and how dare I not show it to them? <laughs> Whose idea have I stolen and claimed for myself? But now, this time, when someone asks me if there is anything else, I will just give them the link to Revenant on <laughs> Wild Hair. <Yeah. laughs> there you go. Here's, there you here's go. the original. There's the here's fucking source material. Anyway, it was that I'll always be around and around and around and around. And I was like, what would that be like? Why would that happen? What is that? You know, how could they have a physical life? And it just kind of spilled out of me. All over Jilly, and she was receptive. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I can't even repeat that. Wow. But um, <clears throat> I think um, it timeline are you working on? Are you working on like your event timeline for your plot, or are you talking about? the timeline of dates that you need for your characters um, to establish who they are. Because there's a difference. I, I build my event timeline with um, major events first. The character one. I would just go with major events. Things that you need to know, like um, their birthday, um, uh, when they graduated high school, when they graduated college, what their degree was, if they went to college, um, did they get married, if they've been married before, um, when did they get married, was there a divorce, when did they get divorced, um, are their parents still living, when did they die, if they did die, did they have any siblings, when were their siblings born, you know, that kind of thing. Those are the kinds of things you need for your character timeline. You need to know their basics so that if in a conversation one character asks your main character, well, you know, um, what's your family like? You can, you can, you'll know. I have two brothers. Um, they're a little bit younger than me, and my parents are deceased. 
or whatever, you know. So you need to know your character that way. You need to know um, when they lost their virginity, if they did. <laughs> yeah, they still it, got it. it is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it, not everything that you have in your character timeline makes it into your main timeline. So it, it, it actually, to me, it's really simple because you have a timeline for each character with their significant biographical da- da- data and dates. And then, but some some events are important to bleed into your main timeline so you don't forget it's occurring. So if you have a main story timeline, let's say your story takes place um, in, in 2010, um, and you plot out the timeline of events for 2010, you're going to want to have their birthday on that timeline because that's going to be, especially if your story takes place in the months where their date of birth or the anniversary of their mother's death or their father's death or whatever. Those are important dates to put on your timeline, those, those character biographical type dates to put on your main timeline so that you don't forget that it's occurring. Um, my main timeline in a, in, a, in a story that deals with werewolves includes when the full moon is. Um, um, I include, like, I read a story where um, instead of going from Baltimore um, in 2001 to join NCIS, Tony joined Homeland Security in 2001. Um, to me, that's like a timeline flaw because Homeland Security didn't exist in 2001. And NCIS is, is, exists in the contemporary world. And they were, and specifically, you know, that, that CBS NCIS universe as big as it is, uses real-world events, like the events of 9-11 are mentioned in canon. So it's not like you're in a, in a divorce from reality canon there. So, um, you know, if you're going to have a character in an in a, in a, in a institution like Homeland Security, you need to be sure it existed in your timeline. If I was Otherwise, looking at the Tony, you know, I would have Tony leave NCIS with Morrow. Yeah, exactly. Which I've done in a couple stories that he follows Morrow over to Homeland Security because Morrow joined Homeland Security in 2005, which it would have still been a baby agency at that point. Um, but also, it, the global timeline is something to keep in mind too in your character profiles. Like, if your character was in New York on 9/11, that's something you need to know. Yes. Yeah, that's not like it wouldn't have been, and you know. What and if they were in law enforcement in any capacity in that time period, especially if they were in Washington, New York, Philadelphia, they or any kind of firemen or something like that, first responders type people, they would have been impacted by those events, um, and it would have been part of their. Um, it would have shaped them to a degree. So timeline timeline can get very complicated, but you don't need to overcomplicate it. The process of it is. Um, it helps me it's timelines to do them visually. Shape. Yeah, yeah. I do visual. I timelines. actually will. Well, I I will I will actually print out calendars and write in stuff to work it up, so that I can see it. And it also helps me with the flow of events to make sure I'm not packing stuff in too tightly or making things too loose and too much time is elapsing. Um, for my for you verse, I have. I think eight years of the Senate um, session calendars printed out so that I actually know. And maybe that's a degree of research you would find appalling, but to me it wasn't that difficult to go print out when the Senate was in session so that I don't fuck up and have him be, 
you know, my, one of my main characters not be at work when he's supposed to be. I, um, what, you know, also I would like to say that the information that you put in your, um, in your, uh, character timeline, just because it's in there doesn't mean it needs to end up in your narrative. This is information for you. It shapes and flushes out your character. And the more real your character is to you, the more you will convey that in your narrative to your reader. Whether they and know, you won't contradict yourself. Whether they know that Tony bangs Susie his senior prom or not. The fact that you know it is good enough. <laughs> We're down yeah, to ten line, minutes. Th- timeline can be a very daunting task, but just break it up into manageable pieces and think about what's important to be on there. And your story timeline, I would definitely separate your story timeline from your biographical timelines and only pull the character pieces in that are important for your story so that when you have your main visual timeline, it's not cluttered up with stuff that's not important. Okay, so we got about eight minutes left. I'd like to do a little bit of housekeeping. Let's remember that February 1st is a quantum bang check-in for authors, and every fandom bang um, author sign-ups are opening as well. Um, and our tea sign-ups will begin March 1st for April, and our theme is, uh, take two, which is you're going to be doing a sequel to a previously published work. If you've not already published your work, you need to do that before you sign up to write the sequel on Rough Trade because you will have to submit a link to your published work with your sign-up. That's all I've got on that, I think. Yep, that's all i got on that. Every Fandom Bang, if you have the um, calendar, the link for the Every Fandom Bang is on your calendar. Um, the calendar that I made for you guys, it's in the writer's headquarters. It is located at the writer's table. It is located at everyfandombangs, with an S, dot wordpress, dot com. It is run by... Uh, River Moon, 1970, and Dark Jedi Queen. Uh, so, and those sign-ups start February 1st. And that's for the reverse bang, the start on February 1st sign-up. They do a Is bang it? and a reverse bang. Um, and, mm-hmm. I've, and, yeah, we're trying to include everybody that, that runs a challenge in our writing circle. Um, on the calendar, which I think there's a double OQ bang is on there. Um, if you're one of our people and you want to be on the calendar for the next time we do one, um, reach out and give us the link so we can find you. And stalk you. (laughs) That looks great. It looks very similar to mine. (laughs) 
Except mine's red. Um, also, QB folks, remember you only need to be 85% on your rough draft by middle of March. So if you're trying to finish by the middle of March, take a deep breath. You don't need to be finished. You just need to get most of the way there. And actually, you don't even need to have that. That's just for doing the art claims. You don't actually have to be done till the middle of May. So if you don't want to be, if you if you you can. I did this one year. I wasn't ready for the art claims and a challenge I was in, so I just didn't participate in the art claims. But I got my story done and ultimately on time. So you can choose to skip out, skip, skip the art claims if you just don't feel like you hit that 80% mark. The reason why we put that, that, that layer in there of getting 85, 80, 80% by um, March 15th in order to be eligible for art is so we don't have people – working on your art and you don't and you drop out. Most people who hit the eighty percent mark are going to um, most people are going to um, finish their story if they get to eighty percent. So uh, we don't want to waste the artist's time with uh, with um, doing art. But we have also promised that if you do finish your story and you didn't do the art claim that someone will still get some kind of art for your story, so you'll have art with it. We, we will do that. We'll at least get you some kind of really – we'll get you some kind of pretty mood board or a collage or something to go with your story so that you have something. Um, but we aren't going to put it in the art claims if you're not reasonably close to finished with a rough draft in the middle of March. So um, I know there are some My freezer does need defrosting, by the way, yeah. <laughs> So, so I know some people have been stressing about the, that due date. Just, take, just don't worry about it. Just if you don't hit it, you don't need to drop out because you can't hit that mid-March due date. The dropout actually, and there's not a penalty for dropping out, you know, unless the only time I would be considering like an assholery penalty is if you go through the art claims and then pull out after art's been delivered. That would probably vex me unless you had a really good reason. But if you pulled out in May, that's fine. This is supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be it's supposed to be a challenge, but it's supposed to be fun. And if it's causing you more stress, talk to me and just relax. Even if you don't finish your story until May twentieth, I will get you art, baby. You'll be fine. Slow your roll. Yeah. And if Everything you're having a plot problem, if you're having a plot problem, reach out to somebody else and get um, a new perspective. A lot of times, um, that's all you need. It's just a little perspective. Yeah. And sometimes I have found sometimes it's really overwhelming, but it won't be. Yeah. It, sometimes it's harder to reach out than it actually is to solve the problem. Sometimes just verbalizing my plot problem, I solve it myself. And that's, that has to do with the way the brain processes information. Is that sometimes saying things out loud and hearing it versus just thinking about it, you, you can resolve your own plot issue. But getting another perspective, and sometimes I have, like, come to Kira, I'm like, I'm stuck, my plot is ruined, I have this giant plot hole, and I tell her, and she goes, why is that a plot hole? There's no plot hole. What are you talking about? <laughs> and she'll do one thing, and it's, it's like, it was like this one story I was working on. I thought I was just totally busted. I said, well, why would that be a problem that he's doing that? He, he just isn't doing it for the reason you're saying he's doing it. And I was like, oh, 
okay, yeah, you're right. <laughs> so <laughs> get help. And there are a lot of people who are offering help. I'm offering help. Kira's offering help. Um, so it can't hurt to at least reach out and ask. I know I, I do think for a lot of people the reaching out and asking is harder than the actually working through the problem. But consider it if that if that really is that difficult if that's that difficult for you, it's like that could be your opportunity to grow in your craft in terms of being able to ask for help. Um, yeah. I don't buy if you're not that's not true. Unless but, but I'm married, so I wouldn't bite you. <laughs> And if you're one of the writers in the writer's table, you definitely can ping me directly. You don't even have to go to the QB site. Um, and if you've already got my email address, you can email me directly too. I, I know there's some people, there are a few people who reach out to me through my contact form, even though they have my email address. <laughs> it's like they're worried about crossing lines here. Don't. Just the help is, the, the offer has been made, so feel free to reach out. We're I am a little behind on some. Okay, bye. <laughs> bye. 